Okay, today we're going to take a look at another surprise. A surprise when you think it's too late for a comeback. Now, I know when you hear that word comeback, you think of sports. You think of the Kansas City Chiefs in the last NFL game, right? You thought it was over with in the fourth quarter, but you don't have Mahomes on your team. But sometimes we think that way about sports. I mean, it's the fourth quarter, and, uh, whoa, I got me unplugged. No wonder it's not working. Mercy alive. Test. Now it should work. Sometimes it's in the fourth quarter, and there's only one minute left, and you're down by four touchdowns, and it would be impossible for a comeback, right? But that's not true for life. It is never too late for a comeback. Now, you may not like the sports analogy. Let me give you a garden analogy. Last spring, there were three bushes in my front yard that looked deader than a doornail. You've ever had any of those? Looks like they didn't make it through the winter. And I'm wanting to redo the flower beds and all that kind of stuff, and I'm going to pull those suckers out. But God came over me and gave me a heart of compassion. And I thought, I'll just, let them, I'll just let them hang in there for a couple of more weeks. Maybe things will turn around. And sure enough, two weeks later, there was some green stuff that started to grow at the bottom. And by the time spring was there, I had these beautiful-looking bushes with big yellow flowers on them. It was a comeback. The life of Moses in the Bible is a powerful example of how God works in our lives when we think it's too late for a comeback. I call this one, don't retire from life message, but re-enlist. It's never too late for a re-enlistment. It's never too late for a recovery. You may be sitting here this morning thinking that for your life, maybe because of your age. You are looking a little older. Or maybe because of the time that has passed since you had that major mistake. Or because you think, you know what, other people can have comebacks, but not me. Honestly, folks, I hope today's message will give you hope. And in saying that, I want you to understand you may not get back what you lost your job, your, your finances, the house, your marriage, that significant relationship. But God can surprise you with a different type of comeback because God is always wanting to do something new in your life. Moses is a story of God's better surprise for him. If you know anything about the story of Moses, you know that as a child he was supposed to be killed. The Egyptians during that time had great concerns about the Hebrews because the Hebrews were breeding like rabbits, if you know what I'm talking about. They were concerned about their numbers, that they would become so powerful that they would take over the Egyptians. And so the Egyptians determined that, you know what, we're just going to eliminate all the baby boys. That's how we'll put a, a boundary around the population. But Moses was put in a basket on the Nile River, and someone from the household of Pharaoh 
found him. And they raised him in Pharaoh's palace. He was given a a royal education. But then this happens. Acts 7, 23 and 29 through 29. One day when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. So Moses came to the man's defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. The next day he visited them again and saw two men of Israel fighting. He tried to be a peacemaker. Men, he said, you are brothers. Why are you fighting each other? But the man in the wrong pushed Moses aside. Who made you a ruler and judge over us, he asked. Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? And when Moses heard that, he fled the country and lived as a foreigner in the land of Midian. He is going to live in the land of Midian afraid of a failure in his life. Afraid that someone else might find out about his past. That Pharaoh might find out and Pharaoh would get him. Folks, he lives there in this wilderness for 40 years. He settles in and he settles down. He gets married. He has a few kids. He becomes a shepherd until this happened. Stephen records this out of Acts, or Stephen says this out of Acts 7, verse 30. Forty years later, in the desert near Mount Sinai, an angel appeared to Moses in the flame of a burning bush. And the book of Exodus completes. Moses' story. And so let's pick it up in Exodus 3. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses started in amazement, stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. Folks, Moses is getting set up for the biggest, the betterest. Did I just say betterest? I just made up that word. My wife will correct me when we get in the car, okay? But you write it down. I just coined that word. The biggest, the betterest surprise that he has ever seen. And folks, it starts with a burning bush. Now what I want you to know is that Moses' burning bush experience was, is not just unique to Moses. God has a burning bush experience for you as you live the doldrums of everyday life. God wants to surprise you. So will you write this down? In the midst of the routine, when you least expect it, you are surprised by God. 
In the midst of the routine, in the midst of the doldrums of life, in the midst of everyday life, when you least expect it, God wants to pay you an invitation, offer you an invitation. That's what this burning bush experience was for Moses. He was just doing routine things, shepherding sheep day after day after day after day. Nothing special, same old, same old. Folks, just like us. That's why the time to dream is so key. Just like us. We wake up, go, wake up, go to work, come home, go to bed. Wake up, go to work, come home, go to bed again and again and again. Nothing special, nothing special about Moses. He wakes up that morning and he sees the same landscape that he, is always, that he always saw 14,600 days of his life. But he was surprised by God. God shows up. Folks, that can happen to you. Maybe you have retired from life because life has become ho-hum. You haven't retired from work. Oh, yeah, you still wake up and you go to work. But you have retired from life. But what happens? God shows up and he says to you, I don't want you to retire from life. I have got a dream for your life. Reenlist. Now, what made that bush extraordinary is what God can do in your life, folks. That fiery bush had the presence of God in it. And here's the deal. The presence of God can change everything. It, it can cause a bush to catch fire. And it can cause you come back to life. That is what the presence of God can do. And Moses sees this bush and he gets closer and look what happens next. In verse four and five. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses. Moses. Well, do you think Moses would have drawn in closer if it was an Irish itinerary? Hey there, Moses, come on in! No way! He'd have backed off. He'd have been out of that place. It was a deep voice, obviously, okay? Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. Why don't you circle holy ground? What surprises Moses first is that he heard his name, Moses. Now let me pause here and have you reflect on that by saying this. I hope you hear from, from God your name. Honestly, I hope that you think I am the that I am speaking to you, the only person in this place. I really hope out of this message 
that you will hear God's personal plan for your life, something that he's been dreaming for you to do. Because understand this, when you hear the voice of God, you are on holy ground. Now when I say that, I am not saying that the person in front of you's hair is gonna catch on fire. It might if it's got a lot of gel in it, okay? But I hope not. And I'm not saying that you have to take off your shoes. In fact, please don't. We don't want that kind of fragrant aroma in the big house, okay? I am just saying this. When you hear the voice of God and you think you are being singled out in this message, you are on holy ground. Moses had a meeting with God that gave him power to take the next step in his life, and I'm challenging you to take some next steps. In this story, you see some insights on the inner struggle that is going on in Moses' life that I believe you and I struggle with as well. Folks, it's not easy to re-enlist. It's not easy when you've been living the doldrums day in and day out, day in and day out. Where you think, you know what, I don't want to re-enlist. I just want to stay in this retirement mode. And it can be scary when God begins to speak to you and saying, I want you to take the next step because we like the comfortable. Moses had, or I should say, Moses and God had a talk with each other. Moses gave his objections, and God gave his answers to them. You and I, when we're having those conversations where God is wanting us to go in a different direction, to take a step of getting out of retiring from life and, and, and re-enlisting, we have conversations with God, and he has answers. Truly, sometimes we have been in the retirement of life for so long that we are afraid to hope of anything different. We are afraid that we might be disappointed. Moses goes through these different mental exercises, these different feelings in his meeting and conversations with God. And I think it happens to you and I as well. In fact, some are happening right now because you know I'm challenging you to get to time to dream, to open some doors for you, for our biblical community. And it can be uncomfortable. For many of you today, I believe your answers to what God wants to do in your life specifically is in God's answer to one of the four questions that Moses asked God and that God came back at him with. So let's get started, right? The first one is simply this. The first question 
God speaks to Moses and he says to him, I want to, I want to use you to set my people free. I want to use you as an instrument to, to talk to Pharaoh. And Moses' very first question as this dialogue begins to happen is this. Will you write this down? Who am I? Who am I, God, to do something like that? I don't, I don't have it within me. Don't you see that? I am just, I am just a shepherd. I'm no religious person. I am no deliverer. I, I, I'm just a shepherd. I'm a country boy now. I've been living in the wilderness for 40 years. Who in the world do you really think that I am? This is the first conversation. Take a look at Exodus 3, 11 through 12. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answered, I will be with you. Will you circle the word protested? Moses is in a protest mood. He's got his sign up. It won't work. It won't work. It won't work. I'm not the one. I'm not the one. I'm not the one. Who do you think I am anyway? He is in a protest mood. And yet God says, I'll be with you. And I'm sure Moses thought, right. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is this. If you're looking at your qualifications, it'll never work. Because you're always, you're always either going to be too tall or too short, too fat or too thin. doesn't really matter. Too educated, not educated enough. But God says, don't look at the qualifications that got you to the wrong place that you are in right now. Don't look at the qualifications, the routine of your everyday life that has caused you to settle in and settle down and not to think that I can't do something different in your life. God's answer to Moses, folks, is the same answer that he would give to you and I as we begin to object about getting into the Time to Dream campaign. 31 groups, I'm shooting for 20 more. And God's answer is this, I will be with you. Now it's interesting to me what happens here in this dialogue between Moses and God. God could have come after Moses, I believe, and built him up. He could have been pouring on the charm, Moses. You're the best qualified for this. You have been raised and educated in the, in the, at the Royal University of Pharaoh. You got your master's in building design and you got your doctorates in leadership. You are the best qualified person. But God doesn't say that to him. God points to himself and he says, I will be with you. Folks, what that says to me is if I'm going to look for a better surprise in my life, even when it looks like it's a dead end, that it's way too late, I can't be looking at who I am. I must be looking to who God is. When you are going through some kind of transition, some kind of challenge in your life, my question to you is this, what do you look at? 
You need to look at your God. And you need to hear him say to you, I am with you. Now as God is having this conversation with Moses, Moses has an object lesson of God's presence right in front of him. The burning bush. The burning bush is right in front of him. A bush that's on fire but is not being consumed. Now I understand something about this bush. It's just an ordinary bush. There wasn't anything special about this bush. It was probably a broom tree, which is really kind of a scraggly bush. It was just an old bush. But any old bush will do when God's presence is in it. You can look at yourself, and you may look pretty, or you may look pretty ugly, like those Presbyterians down the street. Couldn't wait to say that. Hope there's no Presbyterians down the street up here today. <laughs> Folks, it doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter how tall you are, how short you are, how much knowledge you have. Any old bush will do. The point that God is trying to make with Moses is that God can work in and through anything and anyone. That it is not about your abilities. It is about your availability. God can make up for your deficiencies. Personally, folks, I have struggled all my life with feelings of inadequacy. Most leaders do. Most leaders who lead have to have courage, but there's no such thing as courage without fear. And most of the fear that leaders have is the fear of inadequacy. I don't know if I have it within me to do this. And maybe those feelings that I've had come from my upbringing. Or maybe they've come from choices that I've made in my past. Or maybe they've come from other people. But what I have realized in 40 plus years of ministry is that God will use me. Even when I have feelings of inadequacy. He will work through me and he will work for me. Even when I feel insecure. Because it is not a matter of whether I ha don't have those feelings that God will use me. No, what matters most is that I have learned in 40 plus years of ministry, God is with me. You want to know why we all feel inadequate? This is deep. It's because we are. The great things that God wants to do in your life, the dreams that we're going to begin to unfold in this campaign series, Time to Dream, whether they be big, big, or small, folks, you and I are inadequate for. What makes us adequate truly is that God is in us, and he is around us, and he is for us.
I love this verse. I didn't have time to get it in your outline. Let me just read this, 2 Corinthians 3, 5. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualifications come from God. When you feel inadequate, and who doesn't from time to time, you need to remember that you have a choice. You can choose the comfortable and the controlled to feel better about yourself. Or you can go after God's love and find strength to face who you really are because you know and understand that God is with you. God says to Moses, I will be with you. But the conversation doesn't end there. It goes on to the second question. And Moses says to God, if you're going to be with me, will you write this down? Who are you? Now, please excuse me for being rude. (laughs) But if I'm going to be leaning on you for this journey that you're proposing, who in the world are you? This is the conversation. Take a look at Exodus 3, 13 and 14. But Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now Moses has to be thinking when he hears this. That is so cute. I am that I am. That is really helpful, God. Not. God, if I told them that, they'd think I'm crazy. And on top of that, God, don't you realize something? That's an incomplete sentence. That didn't make any sense at all. And, and don't forget, God, there's other things. But the truth of the matter is, God's answer to Moses is spot on. So will you write this down? God's answer is, I am. When God tells Moses, I am, what is he saying to Moses? He's saying, I am the one who can meet your every need. Well, Pastor George, how do you know that? Because I've read the whole Bible. Do you realize that only 11% of Christians have read the Bible from cover to cover? I've read the whole Bible more times than I can count, sometimes twice a year. And God uses this name, I am, I am who I am, in all kinds of different circumstances. When God's people needed food and water, God said to them, I am your provision, Jehovah Jireh. When God's people needed a victory in battle, God said to them, I am your victory, Jehovah Nisi. When when God's people needed peace from a battle, God said to them, I am your peace, Jehovah Shalom. When they needed to know that God was going to be with them in their future, God said, I am with you in your future, Jehovah Shema. And through all of these things, God is saying, I am the one who will meet your every need. 
We don't hear that often, do we? We hear the word, I wish. I wish I could bring peace into this relationship. I wish I could bring security into my family. I wish I could help you feel, or I wish I could feel more significant. I wish this, I wish that, I wish for something else. And yet God comes along and he says, I don't wish. I am. I am the one who can meet your every need. And folks, those two words are associated with confidence. Are they not? When we're in an interview and someone is describing the job that you're applying for, your words that come out of your mouth of confidence is, I am that person. Am I right? I am is associated with confidence. And when you and I begin to understand who God is, that he is the I am, it will stir confidence within you. He is your good shepherd. And he will lead and guide you. And he will make sure every need of yours is met. Okay. Moses is still in conversation with, uh, uh, with God. And the next question is this. Okay, God, I think we've worked out everything between you and me. I know who I am, and I know who you are. But here's the third question. What about them? What about these people I'm going to? I've just got a bad sense, God, as I go there and I, and I begin this conversation with them by telling them that I talk to a bush, that things are going to go south. And when they ask me, I mean, who was in that bush, and I tell them I am was in the bush, they're going to be confused. And on top of that, God, don't you remember? I tried to rescue these people once before, and it didn't work out right. And you can imagine God going, oh, yeah, I kind of forgot about that. Not. So what Moses is saying is, what about them? What about what they think? What about what they might do? Folks, this is the argument that's going on in Exodus 3 and in Exodus 4. Let's pick it up in Exodus 4, verses 1 through 2. But Moses protested. Will you circle that word again? He's got his sign up. I've got you on this one. I protest. I'm not the one. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, what is, what is that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. My question to you is this. What are people keeping you from that you haven't even met yet, but you think that they might bring up as you attempt to do the dream that God is wanting you to do? What is it? Their contempt, 
their complaints, their criticisms. Well, what if they don't like me, Pastor George? What if they ignore me? What if they reject me? What if they put me down? What if? What are the what ifs in your life that's preventing you from taking a step of faith? You see, what do you do when you are paralyzed by fear? Fear of what other people might think in your office place. I'm challenging you corporate guys. When are you going to step out of your comfort zone? Do something for Christ. What they might think or what they might say or what they might do. Let me give you a couple of things. First one is this. Remember that you're not alone. And when I say that, I am not talking about God's presence. I'm talking every person has fears. All of us do. Just go through the Bible. There's 365 fear knots in the Bible. One for every day of the week. I don't know what he's going to do this year with 366, but there's, we'll find one. Remember that you're not alone. Moses was riddled with fear throughout his whole ministry with the Hebrews. And so you're not alone. But secondly, don't focus on people. Focus on the person of Christ. Focus on God. Now you may sit here and you may think, well, Pastor George, I think that's pretty obvious. And I would agree it is. The question then is this, how do you do that? Well, notice what God told Moses to do. Will you write this down? This is God's answer to Moses. It's God's answer to us. What's in your hand? Sometimes the answers to the questions that we have about the fears that we are projecting onto people, the criticisms, the content, the complaints that we're going to get as we pursue the dream that God is moving us towards is found right in our hand. And so I say this. Quit looking to the unknowns of life and start looking to the knowns of life, of the things that God has put into your hands. Moses looks in his hand and he sees a familiar staff. Take a look at this, three and four. God says to Moses, throw it down on the ground. That is this staff. And the Lord, uh, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back. Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it and turned it back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Folks, the answers to the fears that rise up within you in regards to people that you haven't even faced yet, their criticisms, their, their complaints, whatever, is to do what God has told you with what is in your hand. You take what God has put into your hand, and it may be small or it may be great. Whatever it is, you take what God has put into your hand, your time, your talents, and your treasures, and you put them into God's hands and see what he will do with them. 
When you put into God's hands what he has put into your hands, that is when your fear is going to begin to diminish. Why? Because whatever you put into God's hands changes. You put your life in God's hands, and I guarantee you this, your life is going to change. You put your time into God's hands, and your time will change. He will multiply it. You think you're too busy? You put your time into God's hands, and he will multiply it. Because in God's hands, a staff is turned into a snake. In God's hands, a failure is turned into a victory. In God's hands, a problem is turned into a promise. In God's hands, a disappointment is turned into a dream. In God's hands, the cross of Jesus Christ is turned into an instrument of forgiveness. Whatever fear is keeping you from pursuing the dream that God has for you in your life, in your marriage, in your job, in your ministry, in your family, with your health, your future, put it into God's hands. Because in God's hands, everything changes. Now here's the deal. A lot of times what we want to think is, well, if I had just a little bit more, I could do this. If I had a little bit more money, I would do this. If I had a little bit more time, I'd do this. If I had a little bit more talents, I'd do this. Understand this principle. You can't give what you, you don't have. You give God what you've got. You give him the ordinary, and he will do extraordinary with it. You give him the things that have a snake in it. He will turn it into the staff of God. What's in your hands? Now you would think at this point in time that this discussion between Moses and God would be through, but not yet. There is the fourth question that Moses asks God, and here it is. Will you write this down? What about this? He saves the best for last. You've heard me say this. Someone calls you up on the phone and they touch it, chat with you, the pleasantries. But then at the end, hey, could you? That's why they called in the first place. The most important thing is, is the last thing. And so this, this last thing that Moses brings up, it's the big one in his mind. He says, God, what about this? This is the reason why I'm not the man. Take a look at verse 10 and 11. But Moses pleaded. Will you circle that word pleaded? Notice how he's moved from protest to pleading. Why is that? Because God's pursuing him. Now he's begging. He says, oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Folks, you gotta be smiling at this point in the story, right? Moses comes up. This is his big one. I'm slow to speech. 
na 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 God, na 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 That's the big one. Nothing you can do about that. I mean, I don't know. What's going on in Moses' life? Moses felt handicapped. Now, as you think about that, there are all kinds of handicaps in our world, are there not? There's verbal handicaps. There's mental handicaps. There's geographical handicaps. There's educational handicaps. There's, there's age handicaps. Anytime you and I start to point to something and say, I can't because, folks, you just identified your handicap. And yet God's answer to Moses is the same answer he would give you and I. And it is this, will you write this down? I'm in control. Who made your mouth? Who set your boundaries? Who made you? God is saying, I am in control. And he comes along in his heart of compassion because he knows our frame is but dust, that we are broken people. And he says, I am aware of your handicap and I care deeply about it, but I am in control. And I can take your handicap, whatever you might point to it being, and I can use it to accomplish my purposes. When I think of this in regards to speaking, I think of two people who are well known for speaking, who are severely handicapped. One is Joni Erickson Tata. You know who she is? She's a, a, a lady who years when she was a young one dived off a diving board and broke her neck and paralyzed from the, the, the waist down and yet speaks to millions or has spoken to millions of people. And the other one is Nick uh, Vujesic, born without any arms or legs. Let me read to you what Joni wrote. This is impactful. I, I love this. I don't like to read things, but I'm going to read this. She said, I wonder how many weeks and months of depression and boredom I could have bypassed had I agreed with God in the beginning. I spent so many of my years early in my wheelchair idling away time in front of a TV, apathetic and self-pitying. Stubbornness makes for long transactions between us and God, conversations. It's amazing that God continues to work in the lives of stiff-necked, contrary people. He just won't take no for an answer. That fact begins to shed light on another more amazing fact. If God is so heaven-bent on using us, even when we resist him, then he must have something extraordinary in mind. Think of it. You are worth the effort. And Moses protested and he protested and he protested. And I'm sure it seemed like it was an eternity, but God pursued and pursued and pursued because he had a bigger surprise for Moses. And in the very same way with you, God says, you're worth it. Nick said it like this, you should never live according to what you lack. If you can't get a miracle, become 
a miracle. Your handicap isn't in control. God is. Your past isn't in control. God is. Your failure isn't in control. God is. Your marriage isn't in control. God is. And so Moses says yes. And I oftentimes think, what what if he hadn't said yes? Folks, he would have missed out on all the miracles that set God's people free. He would have missed out on the pillar of fire at night and the pillar of cloud by day that led God's people. He would have missed out on the splitting of the Red Sea. He would have missed out on so many things. But understand this. When Moses said yes to God, he wasn't thinking of those things. He didn't even know about those things. When he said yes to God, he was saying, yes, God, I'll take the first step. And there is the surprise. Just take the first step with God and see what will happen next. Moses didn't say yes to the whole enchilada. And God isn't say, asking you to go the whole distance all at once. His surprise for you is take the first step. What is the first step for you? It's between you and God. But as a spiritual family, we're going for time to dream. And I am dreaming that every one of us, whether it's in corporate America or whether it's in this biblical community, that we will take the first step. And we will begin to dream about new yous, new us's, new relationships, a new community, a new church. Because God's not done with us yet. Are you tired of the ho-hum doldrums of everyday life? God is saying, don't retire. Re-enlist. Re-enlist. And see what I won't do. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you that you are relentless, God, with us. That you pursue us because you love us. And you know who we are. You know our limitations. You know our boundaries. But your love is greater than who we are. And so you pursue And when you find, you shout over us with shouts of joy. You rejoice over us. You celebrate us. Because we have come back to the one 
who has created us. I don't know where you're at in your journey with God. Maybe you haven't said yes to him. Maybe you've been protesting, knowing in your heart that you need to to give him your life. But you still want to be in control. Maybe today is your day for salvation, where you drop him from your head into your heart, where you get a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can do that by just simply saying in your heart, with your own words, God, I admit, I admit that I've blown it. I admit that I've protested most of my life, but right now, God, I believe that you love me, that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for my sin that I might be forgiven. And right now, God, I'm saying yes to you. Thank you for the forgiveness that I have. Thank you that I've now placed my life into your hands. If you've done that this morning, would you let me know? I'd love to just email you some literature. Take that communication card that's in front of you. Put your name, your email address, and I'll, I'll email you some stuff that'll help you. Maybe you've already done that. God is calling you to the next step in your journey. I don't know what it is, but we as a church family, we're gonna pursue the dream that God has for us. Would you get into a group? Maybe it's to get into a group. Maybe it's not lead one. Maybe it's just to get into one. Do that today. Go out in the lobby. Get signed up. You'll get the book when you show up for the first class. Maybe God's calling you to get into corporate America. It's time that you not be a Lady Claire All Christian anymore where God only knows but where others know. Start one in your office on your lunch break. We'll help you. God, you're good. I just thank you for your goodness towards our life. I thank you that you choose to use us though you don't, don't have to. You could You could raise up stones to cry out hallelujah to you. But you have chosen to work in our protesting hearts to soften them that we might shout out to you shouts of praise. That you are a good God. That you're always good. And that you want to use us in your kingdom advancement. And so God, we are here today. We say, use us, God. For your glory and for other people's good. Christ's name we pray, amen.